All right. Hi there. Um, before we move into this week's episode, we wanted to just kind of touch on something here, given some you know, recent events here in this country, in the U.S. You know, we're here in this podcast, disrupting our practice, talking about how do we disrupt the ways as white-bodied facilitators, we are unwittingly promoting harm and racism and oppression. And, and it's important to acknowledge that there are other identities that are impacted by intolerance and by limited views and both white supremacy and patriarchy and um, homophobia. And, and, you know, and that it, holding all of that is also critically important. And so we just wanted to acknowledge and mention the shootings at Club Q in Colorado Springs over the weekend, uh, an LGBTQ club, nightclub, where people were gathering to celebrate life and to dance and to be themselves in a place that is sometimes hostile to them. I read that it was you know, seen as like the one safe space that they had in that community. Mm. Um, and... You know, so just wanting to um, mention it, honor it, you know, send love and care out into the world to the victims and their families and, um, and to encourage all of us who are in this work to recognize the importance of holding these sorts of things in our minds as we're stepping into our facilitations and tracking what's happening in the world and who may be being impacted by that. So just wanted to bring that in uh, before we stepped into this next episode. Um, Shannon, did you have any things you wanted to add? Mm. I just invite us all to take a breath and slow down and feel it. Mm. Um, yeah. yeah. And this, this podcast is ultimately about you know, being able to make, create a world where everyone is safe and can mm. live their lives and be themselves and just be able to move through the world. Yeah. So, yeah. 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 Thank you for that reminder. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I invite you to take a couple of breaths, maybe even hit pause and give yourself some breaths and Um, and then move into this week's episode. So thanks for listening. Thank you. Hey, everyone. Welcome to Disrupting Our Practice. I'm Shannon Patterson. And I'm Greg Flynn. This podcast is for white-bodied leadership and organization development consultants, facilitators, coaches, and trainers. This is a weekly podcast dedicated to the exploration of how we practitioners can disrupt our practices, those practices where we are unwittingly perpetuating racism, oppression, and harm. And it's all in service to being able to co-create a culture of equity, justice, and healing. So we live in a world that truly works for everyone. Thanks for joining us as we work to disrupt our practice. Hey, Greg. Hey, Shannon. Good to see you. Yeah, likewise. Welcome back. 
Yeah, definitely feel like I had a nice long vacation. I hope you did too. <laughs> yeah, a little bit. Yeah. Cool. Well, I'm looking forward to today uh, where you and I were talking about, let's share a bit of our stories. Um, we've been kind of talking about things abstractly, you know, sort of the mm -hmm. drivers and bigger conceptual reasons for doing this work. And I think we wanted to drop in since it's so much about relationship and story and holding story and uh, let's share a bit of ours. So, yes. um, and our learnings of how we've suddenly become conscious of how we're perpetuating racism and oppression and marginalization and have caused harm mm -hmm. to folks. So let's check in first though. Let's make sure that we're here. And as we tell each other these stories, you know, just have a sense of how present we each can be and what's happening. So do you want to check in first, kind of do our usual, you know, body, mind, heart, spirit? Yeah, that sounds great. I'd love to. Yeah. Thanks, Shannon. Uh, let's see. Checking in tired. Yeah. Noticing the, my body's a little tired and my body's a little, my back is a little tight from a tweak that I experienced yesterday. So that's present with me. Uh, my tiredness is seeping a little bit into my mental acuity. So I'm noticing myself being maybe not quite as sharp as I, as I'd like to be on a, on a Tuesday morning. Um, emotionally, I'm feeling kind of up and good. Um, and I'd noticed a little bit of a, a little bit of a downswell earlier today, but getting mm. to connect with you, um, somehow whenever I get a chance to actually connect, um, that tends to shift my, uh, my emotional state. And that certainly happened this morning. So I'm feeling really good and grounded and my spirit is, yeah, it's feeling good. It's feeling connected. I got to watch, uh, great discussion today with John Powell from the mm. Othering and Belonging Institute and Bayou Okumalafe. Oh yeah. Um, and both of the, both of those guys are powerful beings and they, they lift my spirit quite a bit. So um, I am feeling good and here and would love to hear how you're doing. Yeah. I can't help but say, you know, connection works. <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't and it? For those that don't know, that's uh, the name of our uh, consulting firm. Um, uh, sometimes connection is painful, but I'm glad to hear that it, it works. Um, at least between the two of us, I think that's why we work together. Let's see. I'm checking in, uh, body wise, feeling good, got good sleep and a lot of time, like moving my body over the weekend and doing stretching. So it's feeling really good. Mentally have a lot of energy because of that. I have a little, I think a little part of my brain is distracted and anxious because of the facilitation we have tomorrow. And it's mm. just like, Oh my gosh, I want that to go well. And I don't know everyone. So there's that, um, emotionally feeling really full, uh, in a good way, just like I have capacity. Um, so that feels really nice feeling some stability that I haven't in a while. And, um, spiritually I, I got to water the plants and, at Jonathan's house, you have to like fill up a watering can and go water. You just don't like turn on a hose or a sprinkler system. And while it can be very annoying, it's also a meditative practice to go visit each plant. Mm. Um, so I, I was like, no, this is good. I really like it. Mm. So I am here, I'm in, and I feel like I'm in a good place to hold some stories today. So if awesome. you want to kind of frame us up uh, a little bit more, then we'll go there. 
Yeah, for sure. Would love to to do that. And and I want to name, you know, I think it's important to name the that piece about holding stories. You know, it's um one of the one of the things I noticed in my most recent group, the the Understanding Whiteness program, you know, the men's the men's program, was um some of the challenge we had going into it with holding one another's stories. And when we opened up to that, it actually I think it actually made it really much more, much easier for us collectively to hold the stories of folks who have di- a different lived experiences us. And so, you know, it's it, in some ways, even just this process of, of naming these things is some sort of practice for us. I think mm-hmm. it's relatively disruptive um, as white bodied folks. So, um, you know, the idea of sharing some of our stories um, it's, you know, it's on our minds because this is such personal work. It's really relational you know, and like I'm saying, you know, if we can't hold each other's stories, if I can't hold your story, how could I possibly expect to hold a woman of color's story? I also think it's important to normalize like the the messiness of it. We're we're not interested in telling stories that make make us look great and be all mm-hmm. like, oh, we're all look at how woke we are, um, or how much we've figured this out. I, I I don't think that that's even really true at all. I think we're so. You know, definitely not um, true for me. Yeah, we're we're so we're so new new at this in in so many ways, and um and so, but hopefully you know hearing some of our experiences is helpful for other folks, um, and you know and, and normalizing that the kind of need for staying in the work it is, it is easy to leave you know and as white bodied folks it's the it's the easiest thing and quite honestly it's the most normal thing um, we hear so frequently from our mentors and teachers, how like during big uprisings, you know, after George Floyd, um, you know, was murdered uh, during the initial wave of Black Lives Matter back in, when was that? 2014? 2020. Oh. To, to early, but back early, when, early. when Michael Brown was killed. And, you know, and that's early, early is like early, early in, you know, in this kind of wave of wake things. Up. Yes. <laughs> you know, like, I mean, this obviously goes way back, but like, but like when, after Michael Brown was killed, um, uh, you know, huge waves of white folks. And then it just kind of peters out, right? And so it's like, what does it mean to stay in it? How do we do that? And and so as OD practitioners, you know, um, there's a, we, you know, there's a need for us to find a way to stay in it. And, and I think one of the ways to do that is is really truly to make it deeply personal and to recognize mm-hmm. just how personal it is. And, and we also want to honor, acknowledge that like within the context of OD, within the context of leadership development, there's a whole field, there's an entire range of folks who are, who do this work um, in, you know, in the DEI context um, and who like, I think as a DEI practitioners, it's, it's really important for us to recognize that our work is not separate from that. It is, it needs to be informed by that. And, and again, I think that's a personal reckoning. It's a personal story thing. So so yeah, so we'll talk a little bit about our own stories. Maybe we'll, what we'll do is we'll session um, just a little bit on them, um, and uh, and then we'll take an opportunity to kind of integrate those those uh, stories and talk a little bit more about them. So do you do you want to do you have anything to add, Shannon, or do you want to just dive right into sharing a little bit about your experience? No, I really appreciate that. I think you said all the things, so let's just dive in. Great. I'm going to set a timer for you. Okay. What do you want? Should we do two minutes and we'll see if you need another minute? Sure. And then, okay. Great. Sure. Yeah. So Shannon, tell us, tell us a little story here. 
Yeah, I just want to name first, like in my body, feeling a little shame hangover from saying like early, early, like 2014 was early, you know. Mm. Um, imagine a person of color listening to this and being like, uh-huh. Yeah, so just feeling that uh, kind of hanging over. Um, yeah, I think I feel a story that I feel in my body to this day is going to the Reverend Angel workshop that you and I went to and there were 200 some people there. And um, at one point, you know, she said, okay, we're going to be breaking into small groups. And if you are a person of color and you don't, you know, want to, and you want to be in a person of color only group, you know, stand on this side of the room. And, um, you know, and every, I think every single person almost of color in that room stood on that side of the room. And I remember I was shocked. Uh, mm. I was like, I mean, I think I even got weepy. I mean, I was the picture of white fragility for sure. Um, and I remember thinking like, well, how are we ever going to figure out problems of race if they won't even talk to us? I mean, I think I literally said that. Mm. Ugh. Um, and so, you know, I, I, it also became clear to me in that same workshop that there was a lot of stuff I didn't understand, mm. um, about, about people's of color's experience going through the world in a white controlled white supremacist world. Um, mm. so yeah, that just feels, I'm kind of grateful that I can still feel that in my body just to keep me in this work, as you said, it's easy to walk away. Um, also to just keep my empathy, like you said, for other white folks, if I can't hold other white folks story and have empathy for what this work can sometimes confront us with. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. And just really realizing at that point, like I really needed to understand some things. Um, and yeah, I see the time I'll just, I'll, I'll stop there. I think that feels like the important the important parts. Mm. Yeah. And that, when was that? That was 2017 or something like that. So something like that. Yeah. yeah I mean, I've been in this work, doing this work, thinking of myself as someone who know how to help, you know, hold space and all that for a really long time. And I think that's also another part of like, holy moly. Mm. Um, I've been missing it. I've been missing a lot. Mm. Yeah. And I would, I would love any reflections that you have. Yeah. Great. I'll set, set a timer here. For a minute, yeah. Thanks. I appreciated that you that you went into that naming the experience you just had, right? Mm -hmm. Of like and some some shame present, and um, and then you know I heard you speaking to both the shame and the curiosity that emerged, and I think those two things coming together in the in the Reverend Angel um, workshop, it's very interesting to notice those two things. Um, yeah, but you know, I did you know. It's it's tricky sometimes to to reach back and feel shame. Shame is such a such a slippery little buggery kind of emotion, you know. That mm -hmm. um, uh, in some ways, maybe it was good that you had that other experience more recently to help help you access it. But um, the main thing I heard there, well, then you know, you closing by saying, you know, I, I was surprised at how much I had been missing as a seasoned practitioner in. Um, in the OD field and, and facilitation, uh, that's my minute. Um, mm -hmm. And yeah, so I, I would just leave it, leave it there. Yeah, for now. 
Yeah, I think shame and curiosity, if we can hold those together. Like, yeah, I feel like that's helped me. They aren't always super close together. Sometimes there's a little bit more time that's needed for me to, yeah. but it's getting shorter, the gap, right? That I can have shame and curiosity a lot sooner. Yeah, shame doesn't usually make a lot of space for Mm -mm. other things to be present. It's been my experience. (laughs) And so, you know, that's what I was going to say without, I didn't want to interject my own thoughts, but like that, I like it's almost like the curiosity isn't like an, it's not an antidote to shame, but it like allows Mm -hmm. the shame to linger a little bit. I want to talk about that in a little bit, like about the the role of shame and all this stuff, because I think it's it's important. Um, So let me share a little bit if that's, yeah, I would right. love to hear a story. Yeah, what's what what's a moment that sticks with you? Yeah, a couple minutes here. Um, yeah, I was part of a. Um, hmm, this is years ago. Uh, do you have a timer than, set? Yeah, I do. Um, okay. More than more than a decade ago, um, I was in a. Um, I'll just say I was in a program, um, and I was I was on kind of the the faculty facilitator side of the program. And I was in a meeting, we were in a meeting live in, during the workshop, the, the faculty was meeting separately from the participants. And there was a situation in which there was a, a black man and a white man and the black man wanted to bring forward an issue he had with something that the white man had done. And they, they went through a process and it was very charged and heated. Um, and the black man was very, very upset. He was very clearly upset. And uh, that, that process, ended. And I, I honestly don't remember what the resolution of it was. That's not what's important here. What was important is a little while later, a couple hours later, I was kind of walking through the facility we were at and I ran into this black man. I didn't know him very well. I just met him that weekend. And I, I said to him, Hey, you know, I wanted to just, you know, thank you for your honesty and your rawness. I just want to let you know that I get it. I get it. Um, because I'm Jewish and I understand what it's like to be kind of like misunderstood and kind of on the outside and, you know, I totally get it. And I, you know, I gotta say like (laughs) his, his, he, he couldn't have been more, more, more gracious. I'm sure he had no interest in putting any more energy into this interaction than he had to. Mm -hmm. Um, He said, great. Thanks man. And like walked away. And for, for like, for like a little while, I walked around kind of feeling, um, uh, this is my time is, is coming up here, but I, I walked around feeling pretty darn good about that interaction until a number of years later when I started kind of, um, exploring, um, this work in more, more consciously and started noticing the different ways that whiteness can center itself. Um, and mm. And it just hit me like a ton of bricks in a workshop. Um, it might have actually been in Anna Brown's workshop, Shannon. Um, mm, mm-hmm. That that it really hit me that like, oh, I wasn't actually connecting with him there and finding empathy. I was actually doing something else. I was trying to feel better in the sense of like finding a way for me to to relate, even though what he was experiencing and my, what I've experienced is so completely different. So I've gone way over my time. Mm. And uh, I'll just leave that there and would love any reflections that you have. Mm. Well, I feel struck by it's more energy of the story than really this 
the specifics. Mm. Um, you know, like there is an energy of earnestness, right? Like want to connect there. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, also I can hear like the, I don't, the, I can't think of the emotion word right now, but just kind of the dismay of later learning like mm-hmm. what that response must have been like, mm-hmm. um, how that must have landed for that black man. Um, and uh, in some ways I hear like the disbelief that you said what you said, you know, so the the 2020 hindsight that helps us understand more. Yeah, and just struck by the awareness of like, oh, like what was really happening there? Um, mm-hmm. what could have been happening there? How might that have been interpreted and beginning to, mm-hmm. to wonder about that, not centering yourself, but mm-hmm. thinking about somebody else's experience. So mm-hmm. I think that's, those are my reflections that I would offer back. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. I mean, the, I mean, this, like, you know, what you just said, it you know, reminds me of mentioned earlier, you know, Patrice Palmer's um, statement of, you know, there's a difference between you're welcome here and I had you in mind, mm. you know, the, um, what does it mean to, to actually slow ourselves down enough to recognize that something that may be coming through us may actually not be about what we think it's about because our conditioning is so strong, you know, and as white bodied folks, our conditioning is we're so conditioned to not see it. It's so part of the programming to it's almost, you know, not even almost it's, it's, we're not, we're not even allowed to see it. It's like, you know, it's, I think it's one of the reasons why we generally don't have conversations about race in our families. You know, it's not, it's, it's not necessarily, safe to do so, you know, mm-hmm. for, for us. And, and so it's, and it certainly wouldn't be useful for white supremacy if white bodied families were sitting around talking about, you know, Hey, look, we have an impact in the world and here's how that impact looks. And here's ways around that impact, you know, like we're not around it, but like, here's ways to reduce it and potentially create more space um, for others. Yeah. What is somebody else's experience? Like, yeah, just kind of thinking about so many, so many things, uh, and just feeling, I think I could, we could, I'm aware that we could start getting conceptual again, Uh (laughs) and you know, saying what we think, uh, and what I am feeling, I'm just feeling the, the, the awkwardness of what often feels to me like the double bind, Mm -hmm. you know, and the, like, I want to reach for connection. Um, I want to, I want to reach for connection and, you know, I get scared that reaching for connection is going to cause harm. And so I just Mm -hmm. kind of sitting, sitting with that feeling in my body. Mm -hmm. And I think what keeps me in this work is just so I can keep developing my capacity to reach anyway, Mm -hmm. you know, as a holistic resistance, they will say, you know, so you reach and miss, And then what do we do? And I think, you know, how do I, how do I not get paralyzed by shame and be able to just be with and stay in relationship and not Mm -hmm. fix or comfort or explain or run away, Mm -hmm. you know, um, 
So that's those, I just wanted to stay in the kind of the feeling stuff that comes up in me. Yeah. I, I super appreciate that. It's, it is easy to get, um, abstract and, and intellectual around this stuff. I'm, I'm noticing. Yeah. I'm noticing like there's a, there's a lot of things I want to say, like, cause mm-hmm. there's a, like, you, there's a lot of things I think that could be unpacked in what you just said. Um, I actually, you know, another st- little story was, you know, when we first met holistic resistance being in that room with Aaron, um, and I remember actually it was exactly what you just said, like this, this bind, if I want to reach, but I don't want to cause harm, like, how do I do this? Um, and I said to him, I don't want to put my labor on you of my tears and my sadness and my, you know, all of the stuff that's on me when I, when I sit and think about the harm that's been caused to people of color. And at the same time, I want to sit next to you and cry. Like Mm -hmm. I want to be in a relationship with you while, while we feel this together. And, you know, and his response was, well, let's be in that question of how to do that for the next 10 years. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, and that's, you know, a powerful um, offer and not one to take lightly because it's not a, it's not something I deserve, you know, in the sense Mm -hmm. of like, it's not something he needs to give, but he's choosing to give that. Like, and I get that and that's respected. And there's plenty of folks whose reaction is go and get your shit together. Mm -hmm. And that, you know, when I think about that, I think about the way that those two things land in me differently, mm. you know, and I think, Say I think more, well, I mean, I think we, I think all of most, many of us would have the experience when we, when we're confronted by somebody who's, who looks at a white body, you know, a person of color looks at a white bodied person says, go get your shit together. Mm-hmm. You know, that it's like, it feels like a, um, it, it, one, it can feel very personal, right. And feel very like, uh, what's the word? Um, not, not even just dismissive, but like almost an attack. It's mm. the way it kind of lands in the body. And I think it's it's easy to not notice that actually they have, you know, that person has every right <laughs> to tell you, I'm not going to give you my energy. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not yours to take. And I I, I want you to go and work on yourself. Yeah. That's completely that's completely reasonable, but I think it it lands in the body very differently, and 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 I think it can trigger shame. I think tr- shame is probably the number one thing that gets triggered in white mm-hmm. bodies um, around this stuff. And that question of like, you know, how do we actually stay with our shame? Not like I thought you just so expertly did that at the beginning of this call. You named. I'm feeling some shame from saying a thing. You didn't like try to defend yourself or, Mm. you know, yeah, but, or anything, it just, you just named it. And, you know, maybe it's even still there now. Um, but you're, you're not turning away from it. I think that's the, that's the key. Yeah. I think that's, um, if I think back to a lot of the things I've read, but then as they move through me, when I find myself, you know, trying to be in the charge of race somehow in a conversation or a situation that happens, or even, you know, going down to holistic resistances land and, you know, being in, in Aaron and Portia and Joshua's and, 
uh, Camellia's space, you know, that's their space. It's a black led space, black held space and can just feel, um, yeah, just being able to be present. So as you were talking, I was thinking about part of this work too is I know, um, talk about what are your emotional defenses? You know, Aaron, Mm. I think we spent two or three sessions in facilitator training unpacking our emotional defenses, Mm -hmm. but knowing what our emotional defenses are against feeling shame, Mm -hmm. you know, and I especially as people holding spaces as facilitators, I think we can get really crafty um, about how we do that, you know, um, and can center ourselves. We can center white comfort. We can think we're creating safe space. We can think we're, you know, putting unimportant conversations in the parking lot or, I mean, I think there's all sorts of things. So I, that way I think would, is an invitation to myself and to everyone else, you know, in, in, in this practice is how do you respond to shame? Mm-hmm. What does shame feel like? Can you even mm. recognize it in yourself? Um, and then where do you go? And it re- reminds me of another story. I think you and I were in Disrupting Our Whiteness with Jenny and Dylan. And there was a trans person in our group. And I came on and from out of nowhere started talking about mm-hmm. started talking about trans issues. And then all of a sudden, you know, Dylan and that person went into another breakout room and I had no idea what had happened and I felt so much shame and I was consumed by it. Mm-hmm. Um, like beside myself for days. I think you might remember that. I do. Um, um, yeah. So I, I didn't even recognize it as such. I don't, I don't think anyway, it super took me out and I think made me a pretty dangerous person. Um, mm-hmm. you know, and we had people who know how to, help me be with that and protect the group from the harm that I potentially could have done um, as I tried to sort out what the heck um, was happening. Yeah. Uh, so that just, that's another thing. I hadn't thought of that in a while. Yeah. yeah. Ooh, I still feel that one too. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah. Well, this, I mean, shame is a, shame is truly an insidious um, emotion, uh, you know, it's energy. Uh, and, I think it's important to name here that there are ways in which shame gets weaponized in this mm. work and it can be, and and it can be by lots of different kinds of people, I think. And, and one of the reasons that, you know, the space of holistic resistance has been so uh, valuable for, for me. One of the reasons I've, I've appreciated the Reverend Angel's approach to things as well as folks like, um, well, even Ijeoma Oluo or um, Resma Menachem or um, who else was just on my mind? There was another person that was, oh, Reverend Angel. Did I say Reverend Angel already? Um, is that there doesn't tend to be a shaming energy behind it. It tends mm-hmm. to be a very clear, direct naming of something, but not a weaponizing of shame. Right. And I see it also in, I see it a lot actually in white spaces where there's a, you know, this kind of like this woke mentality. And, and I think this is one of the, when people talk about wokeness and uh, is, this is one of the things that they're talking about is the kind of weaponizing of shame, Mm. the intent of making you feel bad. Like we don't already have enough feeling bad in our lives, but I think there's a huge difference between that and actually 
feeling shame, which is a natural thing to arise when we start coming into contact with ways we've caused harm, ways we've benefited from systems of oppression. You know, they, there's all of the, I, I remember that, that experience at that program, you know, I felt the shame years later when it, it became clear to me what had happened, what I had done. And it became clear that there was something for me to learn there. It took me a long time, I think, and I'm still working on it to actually be able to stay present with shame mm-hmm. and go like, okay, there it is. How do I not turn away? You know, mm-hmm. how do I stay here in relationship? And like you said, you know, from holistic resistance's perspective, I just missed. <laughs> I made a reach right. and I, I missed big time. Now what? Now how do I repair this in such a way that I can stay in connection and I keep learning and moving forward? And even if that means that, that person's like, I don't, you know what? <laughs> I'm not wasting any more energy or time on you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, sometimes anyway, that's probably a whole conversation in and of itself um, is reaching and missing and everything that can come with that. You know, it makes me want to, if we could back up for a moment, um, as you look back on that interaction uh, that you described, are you willing to share a couple of things that you feel like you've learned about what was happening there just so we can make that really clear? Yeah, Yeah, I can do the same too on mine, but what do you feel like yeah. you've realized? Well, I think, you know, I think I went, I think what I've realized is that there were, there were like intentions underneath intentions. Mm. Right. And I think this is one of the things, you know, we, we, and, you know, in this work, we talk a lot about intent and, you know, you hear about, but then there's like the, you know, there's the impact versus intent kind of conversation, which is an important one. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that there's, you know, even though there was, I would say a, a quote unquote good intention, um, as far as, you know, I think that my, the intention that I was conscious of was the intention of connection, right? The intention of, um, Hey, like we both, we've both experienced oppression here. So like, you know, isn't that, isn't that a way for us to connect with one another? Mm-hmm. Um, and, but I actually think that what I've learned is that there was an intention underneath that intention which was something along the lines of um, if I have to, you know, if I have to sit here and assume that this is just about a white bodied man and a black bodied man, and that those are the only identities in play, then what does that say about me? And I suddenly there's a, there's a level of discomfort that lives in my body that I'm not, wasn't capable of sitting with. Mm. And so maybe if I can distance myself from that by finding the way in which I am, also, I'm more like you than I am like the guy you were upset with. Mm. Um, then maybe then somehow I can resolve this inner conflict and I can actually resolve the inner tension that I'm experiencing, my own discomfort, right? Mm. And that so, so this is like kind of a really long winding way to say, you know, the intention of the, under the intention was um, my comfort. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and to feel whatever was arising in you, the the resolution to that or the way to quiet that was, you know, to assume some similarity. And like, what do you think the impact 
could have been. I mean, we're, we're making, we don't know because we haven't talked no to idea. this. You haven't talked to yeah, this I, man. But, I haven't talked but like, to him since then. Yeah. Like what do you now imagine he might've been feeling or thinking or what the impact of that could have been on him or what were you missing that you see now? Well, my guess is, if I were to make a guess, is that it was probably not unfamiliar to him. Uh-huh. Um, it was probably very much like, oh, here's another like white guy who thinks he gets it and doesn't. Mm-hmm. And would have had the opposite impact, right? So it, it certainly wasn't going to actually bring us closer together. Right. Um, if anything, it just kind of, you know, put a red flag on me. And, you know, as just another, this is the, this is the thing. I think it's one of the tricky things, right, is here we are in the Pacific Northwest. We're Seattle, you know, and we're a, a liberal place, right? We're like a really super liberal place. So we get it, right? We, we're, right. We're, the, we're the good ones. We're the good white folks who get it. Um, I think that, that's, that, that that really comes and bites us more than, than we realize um, as white-bodied folks. That, that, you know, that, because it's a lack of curiosity in that. So I'm guessing that, that that's some of it. Um, it's also possible that it, you know, it was just another level of labor he had to put up with for talking to me for five minutes after he had just expressed all of this emotional energy. And so how draining is that, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I also wondered, do you feel like there was a way in which that could have, that erases his struggle, you know, mm, and erases his sure. experience because you're saying you get it and you so don't get it and there's no, yeah. no way you could get it. And so it just kind of erases yeah. all of his struggle. And that would be part of the labors for him to try and explain all of that. Like, yep. yeah. So totally. Yeah. It's, it totally flattens everything into such a way that actually is dehumanizing because it's like somehow, yeah, I'm just, I'm not actually, I'm actually not even feeling into the fact that there's a real emotional thing that's happening here, it, it, which is crazy given the fact that he was like in tears. Like he was like, it was like, yeah, you know, just crazy tears. Um, obviously, you know, something about that made me uncomfortable enough to, to need to neutralize that. Yeah. 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 And I'm just struck by as you're sharing just how all of it's unconscious. Right. Mm-hmm. So I think, you know, you and I have said in in the description of our podcast, you know, how we unwittingly, mm-hmm. you know, and I think this this gets right at it, you know, it's the the things that we don't see and don't know and haven't taken the time to understand about other people's experience in this case, you know, and also working with holistic resistance, the experience of African heritage people in our country. Um mm-hmm which is not by any means the same or one monolithic experience, but uh, not, but, totally. and all of the things there are to understand there and all the ways that we've been programmed to not understand them and not see them yes. and not know them. And um, yeah. Yeah. I feel like that's yeah. similar in my story of my experience at Reverend Angels too. You know, how could they, how are we going to figure it out if they don't talk to us? Mm-hmm. you know, and how much of the centering of, of whiteness that, that was, and, you know, expecting labor to be done when they have the labor, people of color have the labor of having to work with us day in and day out and day in and day out and talk to us all mm-hmm. the time. Like they don't. And also to know that now that, you know, being in breakout groups with some white folks at a 
Yeah, I think it was specifically a workshop around race, right? But anyway, um, just all of the labor that they were going to have to do if there were folks new to this work, like myself, they would have had to. It wouldn't. It would have been all about me. And yeah, yeah. So I also hear in that statement of like, you know, how are we going to fix this if they won't talk to us? Is like it's a them thing. Like mm. this is a, this is a them like, and this is something we, you know, you hear a lot, right? Like it's like somehow race is a problem for people who um, are racialized, you know? And so, right. which also centers the, like makes it so that it seems like we actually don't have a racial identity. You know? Right. Like white, white bodied folks are not racialized and everybody else is. Right. Um, and therefore it's a them problem. Well, I remember a question actually that got asked in that group wonder if this was the breakout that came right after that, which makes us all make a lot of sense or if Reverend Angel adapted, but you know, was one thing to discuss was like, when did you know you were white, mm. you know, and to, to be confronted with our own racialized identity. And um, anyway, it just also makes me think about, and maybe we're kind of starting to come to a kind of wrap up point, but a, a, one of the things I feel so passionate about having white bodied people do this work together, um, you know, is so often I'll hear from folks that they have employee resource groups, which I think are really important mm -hmm. for sure. Um, and there's lots of ways in which they aren't working. Uh, but how often I'll ask, well, is there a, a white body group, you know, in which they're also working on understanding what they need to work on to really, you know, change things. And so often the answer is no. Um, yeah. And I know that there are ways in which sometimes people, you know, having a white bodied ERG group seems, can seem like, well, wait, don't you all have like whiteness all the time? So, mm -hmm. you know, but where is there a place for, for us white bodied folks to, to do our own labor, to do our own understanding, to, to really unpack you know, how we, how we, all the things. Yep. Yeah. It's, it's not a like, where's my parade group. Right. It's right. not a like, um, because I do think that that's a thing, right. Is like, there's a thing that's like, why can't we have a space? And, and I, it, this is in, in a lot of ways, it's, you know, it's necessary for there to be spaces for white bodied folks to ask the hard questions or say the things that they're afraid of saying because they're, they are afraid that they're going to cause harm or they're afraid that they're going to get called out. Right. You know, put on blast. And I mean, you know, the, the whole idea of getting canceled and all of that, I think is, you know, it's very real, you know, and I think a lot of, I know for a fact, like a lot of white men feel this way. Mm -hmm. um, and so it doesn't do us any good though, to not find a way to create those spaces because otherwise that stuff doesn't ever get processed and we don't get to the other side of it. And, and well, I don't think we're going to get everyone to the other side. I do think you're more likely to get more folks by, by creating those spaces. So. Yeah. 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 I same makes me think of maybe putting that crossroads. There's that really good crossroads, um, I don't know what to call it, article description of the importance of having caucus spaces, POC caucus spaces and white body mm. caucus mm. spaces too. Mm -hmm. And for those that might be, you know, wondering about that, 
So we could put that in our in our show notes and mm-hmm. yeah, I I hope these stories have you know shown where we've <laughs> unwittingly done all sorts of things and been confronted mm-hmm. with things and mm-hmm. not just the telling of our stories can be helpful. It's helpful to speak. It's helpful to be heard. Greg, I appreciate it. Even though, I, yeah, yeah, I've told this story a few times. I still real deeply feel it and I feel yours. So mm-hmm. that feels important. We need to feel, we need to feel. Yes. So. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, I guess maybe that would be, you know, put forward to the listener, right. Is, you know, what are the, what are the stories that you have or where are the places where maybe there's some shame that emerges when you think back on them? And, and it doesn't necessarily need to be, you know, uh, like a situation that involves race. It could, you know, you mentioned the, the, um, you know, gender example, um, Mm, mm -hmm. Shannon with the, the, and I think that there's, there's so many different places that these kinds of things can pop up, but where are the ways, what are the ways in which we can, um, experience being with our shame and learning to develop the capacity to not turn away from it. That doesn't mean wallowing in it. doesn't mean collapsing into it. It just means staying with it and not turning away from it. And who are the people that you can do that with? Yeah. Where, where are the spaces where you can build that? Maybe it's a relationship with a good friend or an uh, intimate partner. Um, Maybe it's a group that you're a part of. Yeah. And, And what does it look like to do that so that you can just be, you know, you can be developing your capacities, especially as somebody who is controlling spaces. Yeah, totally agree. Um, you know, use of self, uh, or self as instrument. And I think I, I think I want to add in there knowing, knowing our audience a bit, I can feel like the tendency to want, I can even feel it in myself. I almost said like, this is a good, you know, way to practice emotional intelligence. And hmm. I actually don't, I want to caveat that. Like if you bring in your intelligence and your cognitive and your head and your, like use your head to actually just quiet your mind and feel, Mm. right? And to breathe and to notice and, you know, not, don't even imagine what you might say or do differently in response actually, (laughs) you know, Mm. but the kind of intelligence we need is to be in our bodies and be uncomfortable and just mm. be like, yeah, mm-hmm. here we are. Yeah. So. Yeah, that's that feels like a pretty good place to just kind of begin to put a bow on it. Yeah, I um, think so. I think yeah, so. Yeah, we, uh, we'd really, um, we'd love to hear how this lands in folks. If you have stories that you want to share, uh, feel free to reach out. Don't hesitate to connect. Uh, you can always send thoughts, suggestions, questions, feedback uh, to us at Shannon at ConnectionWorks.com and or Greg at ConnectionWorks.com. Absolutely. You can leave us a review, like us, share us with those who, you know, might also be grappling with similar things. And yeah, just definitely want to be in conversation and relationship and hear each other's stories and be together. Yes. Indeed. So until next time, it's uh, good to be with you, Shannon. So grateful for you. And uh, yeah, we'll see y'all soon. Yeah, sounds good. Thanks, Greg. Bye. Bye.